Hello everyone and welcome back to Fill Your Understanding Care and Kunst podcast. My name is James. I run Fill Your Understanding Care and Kunst alongside Ruth Aitken. We're both artists and we're curators based in Tromso in Norway, but originally from Scotland in the UK. We have a few episodes already in the feed for you to listen to, uh, but this is an episode with uh, Elne Eremia and Inish. They're both artists from... Bergen in Norway. Elne is a student at the Kunstakademia in Bergen. She will be graduating later this year. And Inish is a Bergen-based DJ and musician. In the last episode, we talked with Elne and we spoke about what makes a good artwork, what makes a bad artwork. And we talked about failure what it means to fail, what it means to succeed. So this conversation we're having with Elne and Inish in this episode directly followed on from the conversation we had with Elne in the last podcast. In the episode today, we talk about safe creative spaces. We talk about competition and we talk about arts education amongst many many other topics again the audio quality is not fantastic it was of course recorded on a very basic static recorder but we hope again that the quality of the conversations will overcome the deficiencies in the recording quality so yeah hope you enjoy the episode actually setting the guidelines what is good art and what is bad art so that mm. would be the ego telling you all the time the kind of limits mm. that would be the ego voice I can imagine yeah yeah and also like the trends of the moment or like the yeah you can only maybe make a great art aim to make a great artwork within the parameters that already exist Exactly, yeah. Yeah, both by your ego and but by the society, mm-hmm. which you're maybe not going to develop or like explore anything new. Yeah. Uh, or. Yeah, the ego would com- continue to compare you with someone else, mm. basically. So you would stay in comparison, which mm. is also just an ego thing. Mm. And that would be the connection to the society or the collective. 
instead of having like an actual conscious or subconscious connection to the collective mm. it will be like an ego connection yeah mm. like an ego attachment almost mm. <laughs> yeah sorry just blurring no it's great because i feel like <laughs> Yeah, I do feel like we're going to manifest her for that art. Uh, <laughs> or like... Oh. Yeah, I still so think you should the drop the word failure. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love the word, word failure. But it, yeah... I don't know. Because then you also assume there that it is like an object, yeah, you know. Mm. Something that it is good or something, you know. But I, mm. I understand the relation as we talked earlier about uh -huh. uh, care. Mm. But what is what is failure if there is no good and bad? What is failure then? Uh, failure is like maybe failing to meet your hypothesis, maybe mm. more than anything, or like failing to meet like a perceived notion of success, or like mm. an engagement with. Uh, the risk taking that failure requires, or the, yeah, the capacity to explore and take a risk rather than mm -hmm. aim for some particular notion of success, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Low threshold or room for failure? Yeah, room for failure. <laughs> but like I generally, or like from my perspective, it is really within this idea of like how science functions, or like mm -hmm. scientific yeah. experimentation. Mm -hmm. As like you need failure to tell you how to move forward, mm -hmm. or to, to give you a picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And that's not like challenge, it's not bad, there's no like moral function within like a failing a test or like a hypothesis mm -hmm. it has like a really high value to do this test and then this fails or this data does not do this because we're still proving something or proving that this does not do the thing mm -hmm. we thought it did and that that has like a huge amount of value um, to, to, to carry out the experiment and work it out. Uh, mm. Yeah, because failure could also be the, the, the guide to success, basically. Mm. But what is success then, mm. even? Mm. Or like, is success good? Is mm. it the good, good way? Mm. Um, is success the good way? Or could it be also the bad way? Mm. and what is good and bad in that sense but yeah for me always failure has been like uh, or like at least lately when I was reading about radical failure uh, mm. it has become more of a positive like a positive thing mm. um, but I would again incline that uh, failure is uh, Not the right, like, no, that would, I don't know. I'll think about that one. But can you, I don't know, a radical failure? I don't know the definition. There was just someone that was speaking about this, mm. and they mentioned radical mm. failure. Mm. And then I read their work, and then I thought very differently about failure. Mm. Mm.
um, because I used to think about like as, as most of us do, like think about failure as something negative, mm. something that stops your flow or stops your work or it's like uh, yeah you were going towards somewhere but it stopped or like you you have not succeeded um, but then like now I see it of course completely differently like more like if it's failure then it is one more step towards success but just being here right now makes me feel like well what is success actually and and it's like failing the hypothesis, the hypothesis of failing towards it and an hypothesis would that actually be failing like can that word even be used then mm. if it's positive mm. like is it a failure if it's positive yeah you know yeah and because you said like you don't like the word i was starting to think about it differently <laughs> as well like yeah okay well, well what if failure isn't like the best word to use here because you're actually just going towards success if you are failing your hypothesis. Yeah, exactly. But if you call it the challenge, then... <laughs> we already <Yeah>. discussed it. <laughs> does, does all art have to risk failure, if that makes sense? Like, or maybe, I mean, I suppose everything really risks failure. Um, but there's a certain degree to which the rewards are there in art. If you, for example, I don't think architecture should push towards failure because that means, you know, mm. a building collapses and kills people. Mm. Whereas mm. I think art has, a, has the capacity to push towards failure. Uh, so meaning that, um, that there's a certain uh, there's a certain, certain license to push towards failure, and I think um, that just coming up to that edge where things maybe completely fail is, is a super interesting and valuable uh, like artistic lesson as well. You know, so even if you don't get a finalised, finished piece of work that's fantastic, coming up to that, just the edge of failure, just pushing it ever so slightly, pushing what your comfort zone is, that's maybe where you get the, there's a risk-reward. Mm thing going on there. Yeah, but also maybe failure is related to like humbleness and also ego, obviously, if you're humble. Because in architecture actually maybe, like obviously you need to have structural integrity, it can't have, it can't fail in a structural sense. Um, or you can experiment and you have to push through failure so that something is, yeah, has integrity. But maybe slightly more failure in architecture as an industry wouldn't be the worst thing in terms of thinking about how ego functions within architecture as a historical practice of like marking and dictating and uh, forcing space. So I'm thinking of like Le Corbusier and his uh, big. And not just him, like many, many architectural sort of uh, I don't call them dictators. That's maybe a bit harsh. Mm. But using architecture the as Rand a big, the Randian architectural genius, or yeah, or like I just think that the idea that architects as a 
social architect also, mm-hmm. and that maybe slightly more failure and slightly less ego would not result in those projects, which actually are massive failures, mm-hmm. because there's not been enough failure embodied within the project early on. Yeah. Or enough, like, yeah, humbleness. Yeah, it's, not being, it's not being stress tested, it's just... Yeah, or not like it's not engaged with the human... Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no friction. Yeah, or it's like, it's, it's maybe talking about what we were talking about earlier, like this idea of the idealist not being able to give up on something and stay within the stickiness of something. Mm. And like, the inherent flaws and failures. Mm. And by like, bringing these like, utopian visions, or like, singular visions to something, it ignores the reality of the humans that are living and engaging with it, and that you're, there will always be flaw and failure. Yeah, or like, the, for example, yeah, try to to, to fit 25,000 people in one skyscraper <laughs> <laughs> to, to make more room for in urban space. But what if like those 25,000 people decide to throw a party one Friday evening? Like, <laughs> that friction of like the idea being reality you know like I, one of the great lessons I had when I was first out of school was like you have the idea and then you try and realize it rather and that process I think learning to do the process the other way about whereby you work with like the idea comes out of the process of you trying to figure something out with the material so it's the, kind of flips it and there's mm-hmm. new pathways that that are developed through through that method, and that was a revelation to me when I was starting out at art school. And I think there's also something in terms of with architecture, this idea of you come up with a grand plan for society, and then uh, the blueprints are done, and you send it to the cons- contractor. And I think there's there's something uh, again with that space about I think the internet like, and the way the ideas. There's no friction. And I think as well with a lot of philosophical texts that are more speculative, the idea of like the lack of friction, there's always like an excess or an externality that's mm-hmm. always created when you make something that is completely unexpected. And even thinking, relating to this project, uh, relating to fuck, um, all the things that, the, the way that you try and make the manifesto, and then as we were talking yesterday, you try and be inclusive as possible, but then there's always somebody you've missed out, or there's always something you didn't think about, and that is the super valuable lesson of just trying to make sure that there's a, enough friction in the process that it that it um, that it that it's viable in the sense that it can it sort of engages with reality before it gets to before it's thought out in this realm, and then it collapses as soon as it. It has no grounding. So I think, yeah. I think I think the the, 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 the maybe that's also my pragmatism coming in as well, and my resistance to the, think, thinking everything out at this level before engaging on the the material level as well.
I don't think that uh, necessarily I think it was level artistically. For, the, ben for the benefit of the recording, we've put our hand high <laughs> to indicate this level rather than low. <laughs> oh, thank you, narrator. Uh, like, I don't think that necessarily removes friction, um, but I, I think it's very dependent on what your uh, what you're working on artistically and also we're in the process because I, I mean maybe actually so I'm thinking I was trained in like board time based arts but film being a part of that and so you are consistently thinking about the idea before you start manufacturing it before you ever go near production you really like start mapping out the idea and the, mm. the structure and uh, because essentially you have this amount of time mm. for the recording, that's a small amount of time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and if you don't, yeah, if you fail on the day, then you don't necessarily get your shot. It's very expensive to mm. to reshoot. Which again, I now feel it's very enjoyable. Liveness and running a. Yeah, I just like thinking like thinking through the idea at the top end. I don't think means that there's not room for a lot of exploration and uh, failure, like it, fun failure, fun tensions, useful, interesting things to happen, lots of liveness mm. to be expressed still through the process of making something, but it is just like a different way mm. around that's left led by material. Or that's more like cerebrally legendary. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, your your ling linguistic skills are very good for me. It's a good. I mean, I don't don't think I catch up on everything you said. Uh, but if you have like, if you want to elaborate more, <laughs> so I can follow you would be great. I think it was more just in response to James being like, okay, being led by the material and mm. uh, being revolutionary and that left so much more room for... Uh, I mean, I would say... Oh, like in my personal, yeah. yeah. In my personal, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, and the, like the, the, the material working from the material first and outwards yeah, yeah. left more room for... Mm. Sort of that tension or the conflict and the failure to express itself in an interesting way to discover it. Mm. So my counter was more just from this other way of thinking from the idea first and out. Mm. Still has lots of room for liveness and and is a, like also just a very necessary way of thinking or making sometimes. Mm. In my mm. experience, it's just a very different way that I don't think necessarily undoes that. Uh, mm -hmm. removes that, that uh, tension, necessarily. Mm -hmm. mm. 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 There's, yeah, many people I talk to, yeah, they feel this, like, fatalist, uh, they can't start working mm. 
with their material because they have to go through their ideas first or mm. like justify why they should do mm. produce something um, in an academical context now. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so that's also the, like one of the yeah there is that need or there can be that need I think particularly in those contexts mm. like academic contexts of. Mm. Of having to feel or feeling like you have to have everything sorted or in order, mm. rather than just uh, yeah, and intellectualizing things as well. Because mm. but then I don't know, maybe things have changed as well. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I think there is space for like intuitive mm. processes, but yeah, it's very much like why, how and when, you know, mm. those questions you need to learn how to work with mm. when you are a student, mm. <laughs> uh, or that is expected from you. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so well-spoken, <laughs> like I, I can't even really, I can't justify everything I do <laughs> with a like, logical, you know, make sense of it. Mm. But I mean, I don't think everything has to, I mean, art is not a logical pursuit. Mm. In the, in like terms of like being like a philosophically logical, like it's not like A plus B equals mm. A plus B. Mm. <laughs> logic works. But you know, it's not like a, the use and power of art is the fact that it I mean, it can engage with logic, of course, and it can use ration, you know, straight sort of mathematical rationale mm -hmm. or logic, but it's not, it's also engaging with something else entirely. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that that's, uh, yeah, maybe like a, maybe it's a huge feeling in how we think about art or teach art or like this movement towards the academicization or intellectualization of art is that we want it to operate in this arena of the other logic and rationality that it can mm. necessarily do. Mm. Mm. Although I do think it's important to uh, to think about those questions or to reflect on them. Of like how and why and what. Sure. But that does that can all that can come at any end of the production process or it can come five years later. Hmm. And I think also a very valid reason, or like a why, is because. <laughs> or maybe not because, but because like it is pure aesthetic or because it is like actively trying to embrace or like express an emotion. Hmm. Or, um, I don't know. Maybe this is more your area. I'm very like, Sorry, I was, I was why, engaging what, where, my, what is my area? Yeah. More intuitive expression. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yes, that's uh, yes, that's definitely my area. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh. But I mean, you got you, you like I do want everything worked out. I want to know why I'm doing something. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. Like obviously, if you're if you're making films, you kind of do it because it's such a massive operation. You kind of do want everything worked out, or, or at least the parameters yeah. of where things can. Uh, the the parameters where th where things can be experimented with are are, are very contained, right? Mm. But you kind of want everything. You know, you want your set, 
you want your lighting, you want to have your team in place, you know, you need your catering in place, you know, mm -hmm. there's very little room to, uh, unless you are making an explicitly avant-garde film, my assumption is that everything has to be in place and you have to have your ideas in order and you have to have the script written, up to, again, up to a certain point, you know, unless you're doing something very much dependent on dialogue or if you're David Lynch or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then obviously, again, I suppose it really depends what kind of artists you are. And I suppose if you're engaging with classical music, you know, maybe you, you do want everything worked out and you do work out everything on your piano before, you know, you bring it to the, the orchestra or something like that. But then I'm, I'm thinking also if you're a sculptor and you're working with clay or something like that, maybe it does just make sense to... Or if you're even a drawer, a drawing, a drawer, I suppose, a draftsman, the most logical thing to do probably is just to just start sketching, you know? I just had a thought right now, like, because it, like art education could be see, seen as someone something limiting for some people. I think that art education could feel limiting in ways. But learning the tools for limitlessness, because the more tools you learn, the more limitless you are. The more you can go like in each direction of your art, you can expand your art with tools that you learn from school. Um, so the tools would be to be more limitless. And could the tools also show limitations within each tool without limiting for each tool? You know what I mean? Like, because I was thinking it could be sometimes limiting to know, for example, in, in film, you learn certain limitations that you can't, like project management is actually just a set of limitations for you, mm. basically. Like you should, you should, make a timeline because if you don't like nobody knows what you're doing mm. this is limiting but it still creates possibilities mm. just like um we saw in the um the framework for the dreamworks mm. workshop it kind of creates actually more possibilities because ah with all this time now yeah. that everyone is coming on town time we have mm -hmm. so much more stuff we can do for yeah. example mm -hmm. so it feels like sometimes it's finding where the tools is actually creating more possibilities mm -hmm. and if the tools is limiting mm -hmm. then i don't think we should use the tool you know <laughs> if the tool is limitless like creates creates mm -hmm. creates mm -hmm. more then i think we can use the tool I was just thinking about the manifesto. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like how can we, how, how can you say that? Um, yeah, what do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess like any tool that has its limitations. So I don't know. Uh, I guess it's always about finding the way that those limitations can become. Or like I'm thinking about like uh, fractals that you mm. can have, um, or not, not even necessarily fractals, but the idea of infinity and finitude, and that you can have an infinity that is within a closed space, like uh, uh, you you can have, yeah, an infinite, uh, infinitely long like star shape or something. 
sorry, I'm not expressing myself. Like the numbers between zero and one have the limits of zero and one, but you have an infinite number of fractions in between. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really interesting to think about things within the, the context of limitation and limitlessness. Because maybe, maybe some things do just have like limitations and then you can't push them any further. Yeah. But. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many variations I think you can get with a very standard set of mm. parameters, you know, mm. when everybody brings their own, mm. their own soul and their own mm. uh, body and their own uh, mind to something. Um, so you can get uh, a ton of different variations. But yeah, yeah. yeah there, is, there is always that thing where and some tools will have them, yeah, be limiting for different individuals and not have that bottomless limit. I mean, are, are you talking also about uh, skill as well, like the technique or a technique? Mm, yeah, about, for example, yeah. yeah, but I didn't do an art education. Yeah. And most people say that I shouldn't. Like just people are like, no, don't, don't, don't go that way, you know, <laughs> you do so much, I don't. Um, so uh, uh, sorry, can I just ask, are you, are you a trained musician? Like did you No, say, no, 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 I'm not. Yeah, okay. um, and that's also something I'm choosing quite actively, um, not yeah. to go into uh, music theory. Mm. Um, and because I do love the intuitive way of working mm -hmm. and failure, mm. like failure is basically my work. Mm. Each like every time I have like a sound that is like completely blowing my mind is mm. actually something that I didn't plan for to happen. Mm. It just it just happened by me trying to mm -hmm. I don't know um, trying to create something and something completely else falls out. Mm -hmm. uh, from it, um, so all of my work is basically just failure, failure, failure. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel like that in the end for me at all. Like for me, it feels like, well, this is what my soul created when I just completely just let let loose. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And if I would, if I try to keep to the manuals, I make some techno tracks. For example, I make a lot of techno music, and then I make sound work. Mm -hmm. And when I make techno tracks uh, and follow the rules and the guidelines mm -hmm. of a tra techno track, for example, the guidelines is you should create this amount of tension and then you have some to somehow release the tension, mm -hmm. just like stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. basically you have to, you know, create, create the momentum and then, you know. Uh, and every time I follow those tutorials or guidelines, it just ends up like this completely normal techno track that is like, mm -hmm. not, you know, like it's it's not a lot of emotion and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a banger, you know, <laughs> it's a banger, you can use it, like I can use it on the dance floor, but it doesn't feel like it's uh, my heart and soul in a techno track, it's more like this is a good techno track. Mm -hmm. And I'm not releasing that. <laughs> um, I just use it, for example, as tools mm -hmm. in, in my yeah. other productions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I work completely on failure and completely intuitively in all of my works. Um, and the tools, like what I don't like is when I get a tool that is like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. If that is a tool, then I won't really like to learn it because 
it's it feels limiting to me. Mm-hmm. It feels, for example, if someone were to tell me that um, you can't use you have you have these ten different techniques to use a painting brush, and if you use anything between these mm-hmm. these ten types, then it's actually like you're not painting. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know what I mean. Like, and mm-hmm. then. I wouldn't like to learn that, but I would like to learn all of the techniques, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, want to call myself a failure or call my work a failure if I don't follow these rules. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I meant with the limiting and limitlessness, mm-hmm. is that if you learn a tool and someone will tell you that you can't really do this and that, that doesn't matter to me like what I cannot do, mm-hmm. but please teach me what I can do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. please yeah, tell yeah. me what I can do with this tool, not what I can't do with this tool, because mm-hmm. um, we all need to find our own techniques. And suddenly, you invented a new technique, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how music production works as well. Like you can do a lot of things, and maybe nobody did it before you. Mm-hmm. If you if you continue to fail, mm-hmm. maybe nobody repitched a voice in that way, you know, mm-hmm. to get this new sound. Like maybe nobody did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really get that new pitch, you can't really get that new variable of the voice if you don't just completely fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 I love it. Yeah? <laughs> cool. <laughs> One thing I do think was really funny uh, when you said that uh, all your friends who are artists who've been to art school tell you not to go to art school. I find that really funny in the sense that, what's the best way to put this? Uh, like, I completely agree. Like, I 1,000% agree, but I think it's really funny that, uh, uh, yeah, that all these people who've went through that, they're like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't put yourself through that. Or, yeah, or I don't know, there's maybe something about, there, there's something, like you probably will lose something, you know what I mean? You probably will lose a certain like ability to be a little bit more spontaneous or a little bit more yeah, I don't know. Just a what little less calculating or something like that. You probably like there's a mm. probably a genuine joy you get from, I don't know, doing what you're doing, right? And then if you do try and formalise that in any way through either I suppose a musical or an artistic education like that, that maybe that, that joy, like it changes, you know, mm. like it can't be pure again, if that makes sense. It has mm. to be reflected on. Yeah. And I do, yeah, I, but I just do think it's very, very funny that all these people who've went through that system are, mm. are, are where they are in their life. They're <laughs> like, no, don't, whatever you do, don't go to art school, you know, which yeah. is yeah, very, very funny. I think like the best thing that our, that our education can do is give you time to discover art mm. and how to practice and if you're already practicing that's great and uh, yeah there's another question mm. <laughs> but it is uh, also when you hit like a dead a dead spot it's also handy to be like oh i can go back and just have some more time mm. to like spend on this yeah. Yeah. Mm. now it's been like those who haven't gone to our school they definitely want me to go to our school you know, they, those who haven't gone through the process of art school, but the people who do, who has done it, they're like, no, do not do that. Um, but I do see, like, I kind of want to go to art school because mm. I can, I want to learn the tools um, and that and the techniques. Like, I really want to learn all of that uh, mm. stuff. So for me, it makes sense to maybe eventually go to art school to learn 
especially other things than sound art because mm. sound art is something that I feel like I'm kind of developing mm. in the perfect way for me yeah. but yeah. all the other aspects of art like sculpturing or visual art or light art or different things that I am interested in those mm. things can be hard for me to learn uh, mm. outside of school maybe it would be better for me to learn it in school yeah. that's why I've been thinking about art mm. school personally mm. But I think, and I think being in that bubble also, uh, you, I think, I, I mean, personally, I've, I've learned a lot more um, from my co-students than, than from my professors. <laughs> Maybe it sounds arrogant to say so, but, yeah. but it's something like the discussions you have with your co-students are very important. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I echo what you say there, Emily. I think if you have a great tutor, and a tutor where you seem to have a... Like, I think a great tutor can push you higher, but if you don't have a good relationship, or you just your tutor just... You know, it's for, from my experience, it's like two out of ten tutors I've had, I would say, I've had an impact on what I do and the mm. other eight are, you know, you can tell that it's not what they're into or they're just not, mm. you know, they just are maybe not that good at teaching, you know, mm. um, and, and, and maybe it is about being a very, very good teacher. Mm. Um, and those, that set of circumstances aligning, I suppose, is quite difficult to get, like somebody who's probably interested in what you're doing, somebody that you trust enough in, you know, like that relationship of, of trust is also really important, you know? It's not just about, yeah, it's not just about, I suppose, the raw technique, because I'm thinking at art school today, like, how many, how many, how many of the tutors are still engaged in the production of their work? I mean, I think a lot of them still are, but a lot of them are not, uh, yeah, they're, 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 uh, yeah, they, they, obviously they themselves have went to art school, so they have a basic, or a, you know, they can draw, they can paint, they can blah, 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 because of course they went through that system, but they might not be still practicing, or they might not have, what they're doing is discourse, and they're engaged with, you know, as an academic, or they're doing research, or blah, 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 so they're, yeah, the, the craft side of things, often in art school, mm. is, is, pushed off to that side and it's very much self-directed mm. often I find mm. or it was in my experience mm. yeah like I really do think like at time and yeah colleagues mm. like co-students I think are the biggest part that drives you um, and that I mean I don't think I think time carving out enough time in the real world I think is we talked about it during the workshop you talked about it during the radio show we talked about it earlier today the time is like a very rare, or like maybe the most difficult to come by resource. So that is a value. And having those peer networks where you can just sit around and talk about what you're doing is very valuable and what you're discovering. And then, yeah, the other thing that I think our school gives you is confidence. Yeah. Like that, is that really like the confidence yeah. to go out and explore these tools or explore different materials? Yeah. Or, yeah, and be like, cool, yeah. I am interested in light arts or yeah. image arts, I'm going to go yeah. and dabble in that and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't come to anything, cool. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's something like almost uh, in time
intangible. It's about thinking or it's about feeling like you're not a fraud if you have the stamp yeah. that says you are an artist. <laughs> you know, um, whereas I think maybe outsider, yeah, like, you know, like outsider artists or whatever, maybe when it comes from a place of more you've just been doing it and it's just what you do mm. you don't yeah. you don't you don't care you know there's some yeah i don't know but you said you mentioned the self-directed uh, like mm. being a student you also self-direct your own process uh, because or at least my experience in the art education system is that the professors they never tell you what to do i mean even if they are co cognitive laborers i mean they they earn money of like selling <laughs> for their cognitive work, you know. Mm -hmm. It's still very little of that. I mean, they can give you references, but they never tell you like where you should end, or they don't, they're very not so generous with uh, giving away ideas. Mm. And I, I really think that in the academical context, academic context is very much. I mean, the, the, that's where like the concurrence is. Like you, you, I think like the the teaching kind of reflects onto the students that you should own your ideas instead of like sharing them or being too generous, generous, which is not so nice. Mm. Um, do you get what I mean, or is it very? Yeah, mm. yeah. linking us to the the the, the workshop again. Mm -hmm. Like the, yeah. I thought that was a huge. Like, did you vote it? Did you read no. about the workshop? No. Because it wasn't. Sorry, I was just like completely budging. This is mm -hmm. totally your. Um, I know that the, you know you were like the workshop thing, but I want to say this. But yeah, part I want to say this. Um, because the workshop was about like giving away your ideas, and I think that that was a huge like ego um, confrontation. Mm -hmm. You know, giving away a precious idea, you know, and then like giving it to everyone that also gives an idea. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I thought that was really lovely. Mm -hmm. Just focusing on collaboration rather than competition. And that was just a slight comment, like it wasn't, mm -hmm. I know, yeah, I just had to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You're, so you're, you're thinking that the. the yeah, the, the, the teachers you've had have not been the most... Uh, do you think it's because they don't know what to say to improve what you're doing? Or do you think it's that they, they don't want to... What's the word? Do you think it's a teaching style that they lead you, they put you on the path, and they want you as a student to make the final yeah. step? Or is it more about that they're... Mm. They, yeah, they, they're just not very good and they don't really have any ideas. And I mean, they, any good ideas. And all, all ideas, they just want to keep up here to themselves. Yeah. And, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just a. Uh, I don't know, I can't uh, explain a contemporary art uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in education, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. pedagogical systems or whatever. But they, I, I, I really much feel that you are very much left alone as a student to find your own path because. Um, there is this like with ägarskap av idéer. There is this um, you hold on to your ideas and that's yeah. yeah. So you kind of justify it by saying like yeah, but you I give them time, I give them freedom to mm -hmm. find themselves. But I think 
we need more like a generous from mm. all 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 like areas in mm. in in the academic context that mm-hmm. professors mm. are more generous with ideas the student the co-students are generous with their ideas mm. and uh, kind of let go because if you own your idea you can also benefit or like profit from your idea and when you profit your idea you kind of yeah, create this um um concurrence yeah mm. so yeah i'm just saying mm. what you already know but my experience is that but it's also maybe i was just not so lucky it's interesting i think there's like you can really notice really quickly if you if you are dealing with a teacher who is nurturing because they are nurturing things they are they are nurturing you as a student so if they are nurturing you as a collaborative student like a collaborative artist mm. or a competitive artist because it's mm. completely different mm. and i think the collaborating artist is very much often very far aside mm. in their in an own vast bubble because it's not even a bubble maybe it's outside of the bubble mm. and the competitive students or the competitive artists would be inside of a bubble looking at all the other bubbles mm. you know and being inside of their idea bubble and all the ideas inside of the bubble and looking at the other bubbles you know but they can't see inside of the bubbles mm. they see the reflection of the bubbles mm. whoa this analogy <laughs> <laughs> they see the reflection of the bubbles and they don't th- so they see only their own bubble but um for the collaborative student wouldn't be inside of a bubble at all. Mm. That's like uh, the universe space, you know? <laughs> around. Yeah, float around, like there's an idea, like, oh, you have an idea, let's collaborate, that's cool, you know, I do sound, you do visual, blah, 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 you know. And if I don't know how to act inside of the bubble anymore because it's like, to me, it sounds so isolating and so... And, and very like cold and and, mm. and, and, and competitive, you mm. know, and it's just completely far yeah. off from my word, but I know that this exists, and I think mm. that's also where my ego likes to exist. Mm. Um, because that's the part of me that would hold on to mm. the idea. Mm. It would like protect the idea yeah. because it's basically intellectual property. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which you can put a stamp on. You yeah, can yeah. say that this is uh, my idea now. Yeah. The sailing boat, blah blah blah. That was my, <laughs> you know, like this is my idea. And sure, yeah. But it's, yeah, I mean, I have to take back what I said earlier that I'm, I'm not. Maybe I was not so lucky, but but because I have been very lucky. Sorry, uh, I have a <laughs> very good tutors. I have, you know, that has been very encouraging and, or like critical and like helped me a lot and. Uh, giving, they have been giving away their ideas to me and other students. But what I'm saying is that when when is the gray zone? You know, between like holding on with your uh, generosity and uh, like uh, uh, helping you or guiding you, mm. and like how much should you guide or not? You know, uh, you know, for yeah. Another, like uh, yeah. you know, as this uh, famous story, you know. Anyways, you know, you throw the kid into the pool and then you just wait <laughs> if the kid will <laughs> yeah, swim by itself or... Oh my god, well that's another goner. <laughs> no! <laughs> we have another one. <laughs> no idea. Sweden, Sweden is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I, I mean, I had lovely professors in that sense that they like throw away, you, they throw you into the pool and then you learn how to swim. But you had the pool there in the first place to kind of yeah create the parameters for you to you know grow um, and find your own direction. But you can feel very lost in that, and that it doesn't fit it's everyone. It's completely traumatic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really traumatic experience now that I look at it. Like from yeah. Let's see what happens, <laughs> you know, like in school, just like, um, it's interesting. Mm. People yeah. learn so differently as well. Yeah. Like, people learn completely differently how to develop themselves and I think so many people need the tools. Yeah, or just entire different levels of support. Like some people yeah. need emotional support, some people need the yeah, like cognitive support, mm. or like a, mm. they're needing stimulus mm. in very different ways, and some mm. people just really need to be given some materials, mm. or like it, it's super different. But mm. um, yeah, I can see like the throwing the baby into the pool in response to or like i'm just very aware that there are also professors typically male but not always but yeah not even sorry i take that back that's unfair it's normally yeah, right. <laughs> it's normally when people okay <laughs> i don't mean to enjoy that but where there's like a Typically when there's been kind of successful artists and again, kind of ego-driven artist, and they are maybe build very good relationships with their students, but there's also maybe an act of exploitation where they are sharing ideas, but those ideas are also very interlinked with that of the professor mm. because of this process. Um, so students are used in the professor's productions or the professors are maybe also taking ideas of the students and making them into, you know, successful artworks or like, you know, career successful, profitable artworks mm. uh, and or the students are creating artworks they are in the name of the professor or like the the look or the idea or like the, 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 the it becomes very inseparable mm. and then there is it becomes a very ego, patriarchal, uh, like I know Germany has this very patriarchal system mm. in our education where you study under a specific professor. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't just have to Germany, but like I can understand why as like a professor outside of that system would also very much be like, okay, I need, to, not as an active, I think there's ways around being this or that, like throw the baby in and exploiting your students. I think there is like a, a healthy middle ground. Mm. But I can see why people would err towards, away from this like very archaic historical mm. sort of exploitation of your students and trying to be very like, hold yourself slightly distant. Mm. Um, particularly with your like artistic suggestion or ideas. Mm. No, exactly. It reminds me a bit like I wrote a thesis about um, the need of art collectives basically mm. and like why we could have the need of that connecting that to safer spacing so I was actually just writing a lot about safer spacing 
And then the most helpful article that I, I used for that thesis was actually about psychological safety and creativity. Mm-hmm. Where someone had tested like how what, how does creativity work in a human being mm-hmm. when they feel safe and how does creativity work when you are actually in fear mm-hmm. and what kind of ideas comes out of of the being you know and like it's it was quite clear through the article that when you are calm and when you don't have any fear you know. Uh, ideas can grow and expand, but if if you are in fear, you will go in this narrow direction. You will have ideas, but they will be completely like um, almost narrated. Mm. Um, it's com- like a pathway that only goes in one direction, mm. basically. So you can't really use your other impulses in your brain because you're actually moving in fear. Mm. So you're moving to the first the first direction inside of the limitations of fear. Um, so that, that's, uh, it was very interesting because I wrote a lot about like how, how we love, how we love, I was writing a lot about females and males uh, mm-hmm. and non-binary people, um, how they would feel in different kind of collective situations. So if, we, if you were one non-cis male mm-hmm. um, in a group of only cis males, like how could you feel because very often in these situations uh, actions would be fear-based. Mm. Um, and in a group of uh, only non-cis males then it would be a lot of creation like Mm. a lot of creativity and the person would act completely differently going from that environment Mm. to the next Um, that that was quite interesting actually and and I think uh, we have a lot to learn from that especially teachers Mm. you know like what teachers teach and how how they can create this this safe zone, you know, and there how the class can be like a safer space or a safe zone, and what that could do with creativity rather than mm-hmm. spreading the fear of competitiveness. You know, you you need to do this and that because mm-hmm. if not, you're gonna actually just fail as an artist and end up at the streets, like you know, most artists. <laughs> you know, like something complete. Because I've heard so many things like during my studies, I was studying in a commercial school. You know, like. Mm. commercial music I'm, I'm an educated artist manager where we learn commercial ways of succeeding as an artist you know and <laughs> completely like it, it was so interesting looking at the different way they would teach mm. you into this fair base where you're like yeah you actually have to be this and that and that and you have to have this niche and if you mm. don't have that niche then you know you can fail you know you you have to do it was just so many different rules that yeah. Yeah. completely just yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's frightening mm. Uh, yeah. and yeah it as soon as I came out of there I was like whoa the underground world but that's uh, I think actually really really curious or like I'm gonna have to reflect a lot on this I think in regards to what you're saying about limitations Mm. But also, failure as a word that comes with negative associations. Mm. Because if that does raise like a more, uh, as much as I do want to, I think like words are there to be changed, and to raise and to really reconsider and bring up new new associations and rebuild words. Mm. 
I can connect you also with the artist I was speaking about that had a piece about failure. It's called failure. Mm. I think it's called failure. Mm. Daniel Burchard. Um, and then your parent Bergen do performance art. Cool. Mm. Do you know what the text was or who it was by? The one about the, the study about fear responses and creativity? I've tried to find it again before. Mm. It's like four years since I wrote it. Mm. Um, but I can definitely try to look into that. Yeah. And I'll send it to you. Because that was a, that was a quite helpful um, yeah. piece. And also, not only having it formally, like someone did the study, but also it made me think like completely differently. Mm. Like, it's true, you know, <laughs> because I, so many times, you know, you have thought about things, and but actually having someone saying that it is true that if you are fear, you know, fearful, then you will completely have a different creation process. Reading that was very helpful. I will try to send it to you. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something. And link you with Daniel. Yeah. There's there's something as well in that word failure in the sense that. Uh, I wouldn't like to get rid of the word failure because I think it does indicate something, uh, like it does communicate something, right? And I think, so one of my favourite film critics is, is Mark Kermode and a phrase he uses a lot is when he's doing his film reviews on his podcast <laughs> is uh, an interesting failure. So the idea that, uh, and that cliche that I think many film critics use when they're describing an ambitious piece of cinema. They'll say something like, uh, I'd much rather sit through uh, somebody trying to do something ambitious and failing rather than trying to do nothing and succeeding, if that makes sense. And you just get a very boring, plain, Dodgy, yeah, cliche, you know, uninteresting. There's, there's nothing there. It's just complete. It's just so flat. And I think there's something interesting in that idea of how you compare failure with another word, like interesting failure, or uh, like a, like an ambitious failure, or <laughs> or a total failure. Or uh, an abject failure, or because I still think that things can be incredibly cynical, and I think there is a need to call things, I think, a failure, because I think it is a valuable word to point out when something has not worked and it is doing damage or it's being it's doing bad things. Its presence is bad. <laughs> and, yeah. I think, and I think it's good to, 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 to still have that word to say that is a, a, a failure of an artwork because it you know like for whatever reason either because it's anti success or something. Something anti it could be like anti success because that's like failure could lead yeah. to success. Failure yeah. could almost always lead to success but an anti success <laughs> Maybe that's like, yeah, all the projects really fail, like completely, like we can't never do the project again. Maybe you only have one shot. <laughs> you have only one shot and you fail at that shot. Maybe that's anti-success. Maybe that's, or, or a true failure. True failure. Anti-failure. Anti-failure. No, because we, we had this workshop with Thomas Yersham a few years ago. And, uh, <laughs> 
uh, which was like wonderful and difficult and unchallenging in many, many ways. Um, and he really did not uh, mince his words, as you say in English. Like, he was very blunt. <laughs> I don't know, how does that, yeah, how the fuck would that translate? Is that a Scottish like, thing? Just, to that's really nice, mince your words, that's yeah. really, really nice. <laughs> he didn't, uh, yeah, it's just being blunt, not yeah. mincing your words. Yeah. Uh, although, yeah, you wouldn't say you're just, they're mincing their words, as in they're talking around the subject. Yeah, You'd yeah. only talk about someone not mincing their words. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He did not mince his words. Yeah, yeah. You would never say, "Oh, he minced his words." <laughs> yeah, that's 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 <laughs> weird. Yeah, I've never thought about it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we would have like essentially week-long crits about all of the artworks. But he set up a series of rules for which we would all have those crit sessions and by which we would judge all of the artworks. So it's a fixed set of rules and if we didn't meet those uh, parameters, they were failures. And he was very clear. <laughs> he was like, no, this is a total failure. But he did sort of what James said. He was like, well, no, this is a, this is a partial, or it's an almost failure, but not quite a failure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I thought was, A, super interesting, I think still quite devastating for a lot of people when they were mm. like, this is the first time we've been presented with failure as that. Mm. Uh, then just being told you're like a total failure by like a world renowned artist. <laughs> it's a bit intense. But uh, I think what's actually most interesting was not, it was the failure, uh, this, this talking about failure, but it was actually the setting up the parameters for judgment or for that failure or like how you would judge it essentially. I didn't actually matter if the artwork itself was good or not. That wasn't really what the, the failure was about. It was about did it meet these parameters that you were given. And I think that's incredibly interesting. The failure is so dependent on context as well. And it, that context is there to be questioned. Like mm. is something failing or is it just in the wrong context or is it um, mm that context being ascribed to it by some other idea or like value system that I disagree with. Mm. And I think an artwork itself can or will give its own parameters or you can set its own framework for judgment. Mm. Uh, and then yeah, maybe a true failure is where the artwork gives itself its own parameters and it fails to meet its own parameters. Mm. Mm. I don't know that can still be an interesting failure, but... I'm very curious to hear about <laughs> which project did fail in this workshop. Oh, just about all of them, in all honesty. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was just thinking about that. Uh, yeah, 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 like the idea of a fit of... Uh, yeah, talking about it, that context, I think, was so specific because it was a public art mm. uh, uh, project. And obviously the biggest failure 
in that would be having an artwork that wasn't public. Not in public art. Yeah, yeah, yeah like not in public space that was okay. that was literally inaccessible because it was in a you know some, uh, somebody's home or it was in a private space. You know, it was not in public space. So I think that is very much what you could describe as in that context, and maybe this is something about failure being very specific to contexts and intense, is that, yeah, or intentions, is, uh, yeah, a public art project where artworks are not viewable publicly. That would be the biggest failure, you know, because but it But that was it, that was like, and he, again, was very blunt, but then actually it led on to very interesting conversations, as it should do, like an mm. art project about public space. Mm. You should be having discussion about what public space is and what it means to be in public space. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, those were the ones that you're like, okay, these are like the failures, were the uh, which do not mean like I think there were very good artworks actually, mm. but um, they weren't in public space, <laughs> and therefore they were. Total failures failure. mm. from the, from the voice of Thomas Hirschhausen. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that project was a big influence on the, you know, the, the fuck project, right? Because mm. uh, because it, it set its criteria for judgment, mm. and it wasn't necessarily a manifesto, but that idea of, of assessing the artwork and and giving it its own independent criteria of assessment. I think it's also a very generous way of judging artwork mm. in the sense that we all have an intuitive understanding that some artworks are better than others, right? I think there's... there's a, yeah, yeah, you have an intuitive, like, spiritual communion with the, mm. the, 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 the platonic uh, realm and you can, you know, you understand <laughs> vaguely that some artworks are better than other artworks somehow, somehow. And yeah, it seems really weird and artificial to judge artworks to grade them. And I think that that's something super interesting that maybe mm. you could you could talk a little bit about uh, that criteria of judgment. Yeah, I, I did, but I, I'm happy to talk more because I do think that's yeah, it. Like in a world yeah. where art doesn't have, a, I don't know. I am kind of of the opinion that just about all art functions are as good in the right context like I think a child's drawing can be a masterpiece in the right context I think or like can be you know revelationary and transcendent in the right context mm. uh, I mean there's maybe limitations there like I think fascist art not good in any context <laughs> but I mean uh, I mean there's like a whole conversation there to be had about fascist and aesthetic blah 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 not for now um, but I do think I think that's it. Like, how do you judge art, and how do you find uh, it, it? Like, so much of it is about setting your parameters by which you are going to judge it. Mm. And I think, and making that clear, like <laughs> it's in public space. Mm. It. I actually can't remember his other rules. There was five of them. Like, is it public space? 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 Is it public space?
I was thinking about the 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 school system in Norway. Mm -hmm. We have like these kind of criteria, like you know, you have grades oh, one to okay. six. In Sweden, you have like probably very good to not good or something. I think. And then you have a complete failure, like completely, you know, you fail, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the zero point, the mm -hmm. the F, yeah. I think. Yeah. And and those could be interesting looking at as well, like for example, copying someone's work. Mm. Isn't that like anti-success? For me that sounds like yeah. an anti-success yeah. because you cannot do exactly the same as someone else does mm. because that has already like that has been produced, like that has been done, mm -hmm. you know, like that sounds to me like an anti-success, but it could also be a very interesting art piece. Yeah. Like yeah. here I tried to replicate completely what someone else did and it's very complicated. Or it's mm. not, it's a line on the paper. <laughs> there is a <laughs> very <laughs> beautiful artist. Uh, so that sounds like I'm complimenting her visage. <laughs> uh, like she makes very beautiful work. Uh, <clears throat> Anna Hall, whose entire thing is that she makes incredibly, incredibly intricate, almost exact copies of things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so interesting okay. and conceptually, yeah, for this reason, this idea of like what it means to copy something and authenticity mm -hmm. and your origin of an idea and like a whole realm of like, yeah, like sort of Benjamin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Marxist thought <laughs> into reproduction, what it means to reproduce and mm -hmm. copy something. What was her name again? Anna Metabol. That's also like, yeah, writing. Like, you can create a book, you copy many, make many copies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So she was part of... Uh, I had a studio visit with her and just kind of fell a little bit in love. <laughs> and I was like, I, I am a curator that can do absolutely nothing for you. You were very successful. <laughs> for artists from spaces so really this is just a time for me to have a massive art crush but she was part of some exhibition in Belgium I think and they built the entire exhibition around artists who were engaging with copying mm -hmm. and I think one of the people just did a performance where they copied out a book mm. over like a week they just like <laughs> replicated the book word for word uh, if I remember, it was something along those lines, and there was like lots of, yeah, and I can't remember all of them, but you'd be able to find it through her mm. <laughs> and her CV, because uh, it, yeah, it was just super, super interesting, this idea of copying yeah. and intellectual property collaboration and how these things uh, inter intersect. Mm. Yeah. So, so all in all, um, copying is not anti-success. I guess yeah. it is the best of success. <laughs> it is the best of success. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's maybe something. Like, there's two poles, right? There's the exact copy where if you have like art forgery, right, where you have, uh, you know, the original and the copy, the forgery. And they're the exact same, and you cannot you cannot tell the difference. That to me, hundred percent success, right? You know, and the forger, the, the man who or the woman who's or the person who's doing the, the forgery, is um, uh, 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 yeah. The, the success is that there is no difference, right? So the hundred percent total copy, maybe like what this artist is doing, complete success. And then there's the other thing where it's like the um, 
the 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 uh, the remake of something that's really good, like the 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 quality uh, restaging of a famous play, for example, you know, mm-hmm. or making something better than the original. That also works. And then there's a period like in between where it's it's just a little bit too close to something that you know, and it's reminding you of a better film or a better artwork mm. or a better uh, piece of music you're just you know when you listen particularly to a lot of music and you're like oh that's reminding me of a better band or a better uh, or, or, or something better and it's it bugs you because you're mm-hmm. like oh it reminds me of this thing mm. but it's somehow devoid mm. and it's a flattened and and uh, less good version of the quality mm. original, you know, like the imitation, mm-hmm. uh, like that in-between space. Mm. Uh, yeah, like a lot of my favourite music sounds incredible, uh, the, the music that I love sounds incredibly derivative, right, of previous things, but there's something else added, or there's something different, or mm. there's some, something is changed in that translation, right, mm. that you can hear the influence, but it's, mm. something's changed, right? So yeah, there's maybe maybe there's a sweet spot, right, between the yeah between the, the plagiarism, as you would say, mm-hmm. uh, if you under if you guys know the, the the work that comes up literally in one context, which mm-hmm. is the academic yeah. you know, when you're writing an essay, plagiarism, and then the complete hundred percent you know copy, uh-huh. the almost in yeah there's a there's a there's a spot in between like the, where it can be good and interesting, mm-hmm. you know. There's also something with friction. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I listen, not so long time I listened to Max Richter's uh, cover, or how he made a remake of Vivaldi's Seasons, and it's very contemporary, his version. Um, like, since, and you know, that wouldn't exist on Vivaldi's mm-hmm. <laughs> lifetime um, in that way. And it, I was kind of I mean, I was I really liked it, but it was also a bit boring. It wasn't, you know, it was too contemporary, too contemporary, too familiar in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, I don't know, I don't know where these feelings come from. And it's a bit also the same with um, taking old uh, plays and put them in a contemporary context, and, I, 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 and also you kind of remake a role or or a character to kind of fit into our moral standards today, for example, because it becomes boring, you know, <laughs> uh, like, okay, this is more kosher now, like, we can't have this um, uh, Lolita character here because people will get offended, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's something with that that I also find interesting, mm. interested in, in yeah, contemporary and moral around that, you know, or, or like, just, yeah. yeah make things. I find it really interesting. Less friction. <laughs> yeah, I find it really interesting in terms of what people decide that is the stuff that they should keep and what they should throw out when they're restaging or remaking something. Like, mm. for example, when they do Shakespeare plays now, what they do is they often update the, the aesthetics. So, for example, when you're watching Hamlet, mm. the soldiers come out and with machine guns and, mm. you know, contemporary, you know, uh, camouflage, for example, and it's a very modern setting. And there was a film with Brian Cox a few years ago, uh, you know, probably transposed, uh, I think it was it, 
Coriolanus. Coriolanus, you know, to the contemporary, you know, war zone or whatever. Yet, always they keep the dialogue the same, which to me is mm. the part that I don't understand because the dialogue is the part to me that's really dated, right? Mm. It's the mm. it's the part that that is you can struggle with because it's. Uh, you know, mm. it's archaic. It's like literally five English, yeah, it's literally five hundred year old language mm. spoken in a very weird way, right? And yeah, that, also some of the racial relationships. But because it's the word of Shakespeare, it can never be changed or anything like that. So I, I find that I mean the the worst example of it would be Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, where everything is completely contemporary no, to the genre. Of, or, or, or like I'm not saying I'm not saying like that's a bad film. I'm saying it's the worst example of, or it's 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 the most uh, ur example, as you would say. Like it is the ur example. Like of, the origin. Like, or, or no, it's not the origin, but it's everything is the aesthetics, oh, the, the the medium, the, the the actors, the Hollywoodification. Everything is contemporized apart from the fucking dialogue which is still so it's 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 just so weird like the 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 obsession with the words right mm-hmm. which from shakespeare uh, and then there's also this uh, thing in classical music where you take the perform like the music that you know uh, and love and you try and play it on the original instruments mm-hmm. or you try and play it to the original uh, Tempo markings, for example, like uh, for example, Beethoven in the last few years of his life, uh, seemed to speed up. Like so, he, he started. He, the metronome was invented. Mm-hmm. So all his you know famous compositions in his last ten years of his life, he uh, he wrote out. So yeah. all you know the his famous you know like uh, you know uh-huh. the, 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 it should be <laughs> you know and, and and there's a lot of speculation like maybe he was just going a little bit insane or crazy you know because surely being right, over the genius. Oh my god, I, I have so many relations to this. Yeah. <laughs> my head <explodes>. <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah, I think you're completely right. I think it's weird, like the the contem- the contemporary aspects of something that are um, like very specific to that period in time. Mm-hmm. What are the things that we cannot have? Uh, we cannot have age inappropriate relationships. That's the worst thing, you know, so we can't do Lolita. Lolita is completely out, you know. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, there, 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 there's other things where, like blasphemy, for example, and critique of the church, you know, that is 50 years ago, that would be this thing that nobody could touch or say, but it's now, it's, you know, just everywhere. So I think it's really interesting what parts of things are, yeah. as you say. Uh, or even 10 years ago, I think it really, I don't know if it's interesting because I feel like we're drifting quite a bit. But, <laughs> but I'm thinking of the, the film of The Golden Compass or Northern Lights, the book. So it was recently made into a TV show with the BBC, but it was made into a film 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago now, with Nicole Kidman. Mm. Um, and there was like outcry, they never made more of the films or the books into films. Because essentially it was made in America, and 15 years ago the church still had like like huge huge sway. Uh, so they had to remove like the book itself is quite critical to organized religion, but specifically the Christian church. <laughs> uh, and like that, the church as a hegemonic power structure. Um, and so the film, like, it just completely skips over this. And I think that's 
more interesting. Or like... Yeah, I don't know if I'm right, because that's sort of the backward instances, like what's been left, yeah. what's left yeah. out and is now coming back into the picture due to yeah. changing morals. Mm -hmm. yeah, like what are we now seeing and making yeah. visible? That wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Like again, also like queer characters and mm. yeah, just like mm. other voices. Yeah. Women who speak uh, yeah. more than yeah. once in a film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But why not make like new plays about it, you know, or new music that mm. isn't a, a Shakespeare play mm. <laughs> where you have to, you know. Edit. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's something. I don't know. I I don't, I'm not saying that the we should. Mm. Not touch the canon, you know. Of, mm. of course, re redefining or repurposing ideas are, are very important. Um, but I, I think we also kind of. I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> I, like, I actually had this argument. I used to have a colleague who was an mm. actor, and he was like all for like ad adaptations of Shakespeare, obviously, like mm. other theatre plays. And then I was talking about like I, they were making an adaptation of some film. Or like updating, mm. there was maybe like they were remaking American Psycho or something. Mm. Anyway, he um, he was dead. He was all for Shakespeare adaptations, but over yeah. my dead body well, were all women Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> like he was really against the old, but, which yeah. I mean, it's a bad film. That's fine, but I I don't know. I'm kind of like. I think I'm happy for that to exist in all art. Like mm. I'm happy to keep remaking things because I think mm. there's some stories that are there's something interesting to delve into mm. by remaking it or to readapting it. Yeah, being like, okay, what happened to you? Mm. But only women or update the costume to the Iraq War. <laughs> like mm. that's cool. That's fine. Or like, yeah, let's uh, take out. Um, yeah, like characters that are offensive. I don't think they should ever be done, like with like no acknowledgement that that character was in it before. Mm. Because if you're going to adapt a play that's like four hundred years old, then I think you should recognize that you're adapting it. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you should recognize what it was, and the interesting thing is in the fact that you are copying it in some new form, mm. and you should recognize that there is something offensive about what it was in today's society. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm kind of all for like adapting all arts. Yeah. Again, I think like uh, I'm totally for I do that all the time <laughs> myself. Yeah, yeah, like, I, like uh, it's this IP thing. I'm really mm. for people recopying things. Mm. I don't know that everything, anything will ever be the same when it's made by the hands of a different artist or even if the same artist makes something mm. again. Mm. And yeah. I think there's always something interesting to be found either in that very direct copy or in the adaptation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't, there's just not that many things in the world that like we have finite matter and it's just like resembling itself in different forms. So, mm. I don't know. But it's just so boring. But I haven't, have you seen the new Cruella movie with Emma Stone? I saw it yesterday. No. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that is like a typical example of, I don't know if I have the right words for it, but she. In this version, as I understood it, or what people have said, is that she is not really portrayed as in like a genuine, genuine evil woman. She's mm -hmm. more like a woman who who wants to be successful. 
Okay, so it's more like a story about her. That's not really complex. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't have that much depth. I was like, yeah. wow, it's really... <laughs> or it's like oh my God. more of a um, yeah, poor young girl trying to find her way in the fashion industry. Huh. And, uh, <laughs> and then... her mom is evil or something. Oh. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> but like in the genuine, in the original saga, she is a genuine evil. I mean, her name is Cruella, you know. So, yeah, the <laughs> um, which is more far more interesting if she would be like, more you know, I don't I'm know. So, I disagree but, so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. what, what is your take on that? Well, I, I love this adaptation actually. Yeah. I love because I love the complexity of it. It's one of the first family movies I've seen where they actually show this level of complexity within the he- mental health spectrum. Mm. And also where they're like, they don't even say that the Baroness is evil, but the Baroness is the evil, mm. uh, the Cruella de Vil in this movie, you know, the Baroness is like the evil, the, the, I don't want to say the devil because it's just too many connections for people, like I don't want to use that word yeah. to describe someone evil, but the evil person was truly the Baroness, who is the tr- uh, biological mother of Cruella de Vil. Uh-huh. And um, here they use something, they use, uh, they used a couple of disorders, you know, they use narcissistic personality disorder mm. to describe uh, the Baroness, who is the most evil bitch in this movie, you mm-hmm. know, and the Cruella de Vil was more like really hurt, um, seems like a really hurt character, she was traumatized when she saw, she thought she killed her own mother, mm. so she developed this really the, uh, this disorder almost you know is mental health where this would be looked as a disorder she developed you could connect it to different kind of mental health disorders I'm not a psychotherapist so I will not go into the specifics but the symptoms are very clear uh-huh. that she has been traumatized and now she's finding her way in in a world that doesn't really accept her because she's super different mm-hmm. you know and i connect this to people i know on the spectrum uh-huh. or artists or people that feel like they are outsiders i connect this to Cruella de Vil, who actually had to create this identity Cruella de Vil, who kills dalmatians um to pin something on it, you know, and then I don't know. I mean, I just have so many thoughts about this movie. I love this movie actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the Baroness was the truth. The truth. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it? No, oh, because I saw it yesterday and I was like, whoa, you know. And because they didn't say like the Baroness is really evil, they were like. The Baroness is a true narcissist. Mm. Mm. That's what they said. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that's the first time I heard this like this word being used mm. almost in movies. Mm. That they did, did dare to do that. And also they had like a transgender person in the movie uh, who where they raised the conflict of being a transgender person, where Cruella de Bill, she was like coming in the store and she, and she was like oh my god, you look fabulous, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and this person was like, oh my god, you look fabulous, and they had this connection point, mm-hmm. and then she was like, but don't people, like, abuse you on the streets, like, mm-hmm. how is this for you, walking down the streets like that, because this was a trans-feminine person, mm-hmm. you know, wearing really uh, gorgeous clothes, walking down the streets in the 80s or 70s or something, where people were, I think it was the 70s, 
where people would totally abuse a person. Mm. So they raised the question of actual, like, trans, trans violence, mm. you know, discrimination against trans people. They raised that question. They raised personality disorder question. Like, they raised so many things. And I was like, whoa. I would be so happy growing up watching this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, Scar and the Lion King, mm. like all this, this is also re-portraying of Rumi and Juliet, I think, like mm. the whole, I don't re remember, but this also could be remade, remade into like also mentioning like mental health, where's Timon and Pumbaa, you know, mm. um, all this stuff makes me think, but I love this movie. Mm. I thought it was great, and saying that, like, I, I love that she wasn't, uh, it was just, it's a misunderstanding, you know, mm. it's a misunderstanding where Cruella de Vil had to do that to survive, mm. because she was really hurt, you know, mm. and that's also the Baroness was probably very hurt, narcissistic personality disorder is grounded in someone being hurt, and they think that this is what they have to do to survive mm. at all. Mm -hmm. This is the ground base of narcissistic personality disorder. So nobody is really evil in that sense. They mm. think that they will diminish if they don't do this thing. If mm. they are not the best, they could be dead, mm. basically. Mm. Whoa, I said that. <laughs> but, but that's what, like, basically what I think when I read about this. Is, and this is what the Baroness, the true evil person in this movie, was portrayed as. And also, yeah, it's also perfectly portrayed, like this person that wants to be best, she kills everyone. She actually kills people mm. that if she wanted to kill all her competitors, mm. true competitors, she kills them just mm. because she, she wants to be the best. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, love to, I, I love family movies. I think they're yeah. so great. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah. but is it, is it more to do you know, because I, I'm a big fan of the writings of, say, somebody like Mark Fisher, right? And there's this idea that culture has somehow, what's the best way to put it? Like, cu culture culture has stopped somehow. Cultural progression has stopped, and we're in a space and an age where we, uh, with market metrics are such, and there's a, a spiritual deadening com in comparison to the last 30 or 40 years of culture, of mainstream culture what he would call popular modernism or something like that mm. where there was so much creativity and diversity coming from people of all different kinds of backgrounds and circumstances and whereas today it's now completely uh, there's so many remakes like it's just a culture of remakes of things that people have already seen instead of creating new ideas and I think like that's maybe what you were, you were getting at if you might correct me if I'm wrong but thinking about this idea that culture is uh, that the cultural production has almost slowed down and that all these remakes are to do with some sort of ambient malaise or some sort of cultural stagnation that, that, we're, that we're sort of experiencing because there's an e there is essentially this uh, like economic breakdown and this, this concentration of wealth and power and it means that only a very stratified class get access to the capital to make you know certain mass cultural 
phenomenon and when you're distributing things that used to be that you would be able to distribute things uh, you know underground and they could you know, mm. feed their way up whereas now that seems completely cut off as well so what I'm basically saying is was that kind of what you were meaning <laughs> when you were saying like you're, you're, you know this remake shit is like mm. bad basically no it becomes boring yeah and yeah. dead maybe yeah 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 I think maybe yeah. we have similar references. <laughs> maybe yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I haven't seen any of. Yeah, I, I can't. I wish I could comment on on I don't know, uh, Cruella or whatever. But yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely having more diversity in like mainstream media that's being fed to children is super important. So like, I do think it's nice that there's I've also not seen Cruella, and yeah. nice that there's slightly more. Um, yeah, like actually having a trans character that recognizes trans violence is like wildly, wildly revolutionary, I feel, in like a children's film. Uh, so that is quite important or wild. But I do think, um, yeah, no, I disagree. Or like, I don't disagree because obviously capitalist, capital has. or like is becoming more and more localized. In, in fewer and fewer hands and in fewer and fewer media companies. Mm. But I wouldn't say that like culture has uh, stultified because I think we have more and more, or like the new ideas aren't being produced because I, like, I think we have an incredibly, incredibly diverse um, cultural offer mm -hmm. uh, and um, more global culture offer in some ways, like I think there's access to so much more in terms of artists from around the world, music, film. I think film is maybe very specific because it does require so much money. Yeah. Because it, in terms yeah. of capital, it like it does operate yeah. on a level that requires huge amounts of sound, like sounds. But there is still plenty of interesting independent film being made again around the world. Mm -hmm. But I do think that is maybe the mm -hmm. place that it's felt the most. This uh, find I don't think it's like a cultural malaise. I think that's, you know, zombie capitalism in its like death rattle. Hopefully, <laughs> like it's uh, and and also a point of like a film industry that is still um not really come to terms with. A the the fact that money is moving out of America, but B the the internet as a disruptor. After like thirty years of the internet or forty years of the internet, that or like Hollywood more specifically has um, and and Hollywood rather than uh, becoming more uh, diverse has become more. It's like bald eyes, like put up the fort, essentially, I think. Mm. Yeah, so I, I have the rules from Thomas Hirschhorn's. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so uh, assuming public says seven judgment criteria. Um, uh, oh fuck, I have no idea. Uh, so number one is artistic idea, the number two is relevance of location, three, contact with public, four, pertinence of dimension, and times five artistic portion public space question mark six 
physical implication seven how much money is used <laughs> um, how much money is yeah or yeah did you use money the money no the, there is a, a where did you find us Instagram it's a, it's a seeming public space on yeah. Instagram okay. you can see the Twitter for it. Yeah. I don't think they could have all of his judgments but he took notes of his his take on the judgments of everybody <laughs> And you have to judge it for, um, yeah, is there an artistic idea, the relevance of the location, contact with the public, is there in the artwork an artistic position? Yeah. That was it, an artistic position, meaning I suppose, yeah, mm. where you stand in things, and then is the work, is in the work the pertinence of the dimension time? I don't know what that means. Uh, Physical implication and how yeah. it is used. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think okay. he had like when he the the start of the I don't know how he wrote it every time. I think he maybe slightly changed it on his uh, notepad. But there was quite a clear. <laughs> mm. But yeah, like how, how have they have they considered time as a as a dimension? I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was the final parameter. Yeah.